The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As spiritual seekers, we often receive guidance on which path to follow. This might be necessary for some time, but as we move along, we need to trust our heart and become our own guide. Welcome to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us, a place where we can listen to everyone's heart. Your companion on the journey is Jill Asselin. Come join us now on this path of inner exploration. Here is your host, Jill Asselin. Good afternoon, everyone, or good evening. Uh, bonsoir à ceux qui écoutent depuis un pays francophone. It's nice to be back. It's been a, it's been a very interesting week. Um, every week, of course, you know, I, I keep listening to, to whatever uh, is speaking to me. And, and I um, came up with a theme of uh, how do we turn the light on Again, it was pretty late during the week, I'm talking about Thursday to Thursday, pretty late. I think it was like maybe Sunday when the inspiration or the, the inside came, came through. And since then, especially Tuesday, Wednesday, I experienced some very interesting things that I will be sharing with you. Again, it's my own, um, my own spelunking, the way I look at things and um, the way I deal with life as nothing... Um, Nothing out of the ordinary. I mean, obviously, things and people come to us and, uh, and we react or we don't react or we, we live, in a sense. It's our life. And really, this question, how do we turn the light on? I think it's more, the way I conceive of the question is much more for other people than it is for myself. I do what I do for myself in terms of trying to turn the light on and trying to see as much as I can through my veils, through my um, obstacles or whatever we want to call them. And um, the expression that comes to mind is, it's a French expression. Um, uh, we say in French that we, we, we have to go according to the pace of the music, you know, if you're part of an orchestra. You can't go faster than the pace or the music played by your colleagues if you're part of an orchestra. And I think, in a sense, it's, it's, I think it's about the same for our own path. You know, we, we go at our own pace. True, we can do 10-hour meditation every day, uh, and I think it will help. At the same time, um, we're not living in a cave. We're living, I guess, most of us. We are living in a real world made of people, made of work, made of families, made of lots of distractions, lots of technology. And, you know, we have to be connected somehow to, to our life and it's very hard to distinguish uh, between the material and between the, the more the spiritual, the soul part. And so uh, getting back to again the theme, how do we turn the light on for other people? 
it's, it goes back to a burning question that I mentioned early on in the show. Uh, I'm glad I brought that question along with me when I started it back in January, but it's, uh, the question is very much along the same lines. It's just a rephrasing of, the, of, this, of today's question. It's uh, how can we help people see? And the same thing, how can we help people see beyond their blinders, um, beyond what blocks their view? Their sight, their, their eyesight, their eyesight, their spiritual sightness, and their psychological sight. When I when I was reflecting on this, I think it's it's pretty much um, we can call it spiritual in terms of going for the blinders and, and piercing for the blinders. But oftentimes also, it's very much of a psychological uh, process, and it's uh, possibly an emotional, and it's very hard to distinguish between the two. And I've had two. Ex- Two instances, two, um, one is personal, I mean, both are personal, both are touching me fairly closely uh, on um, Tuesday and Wednesday, and I will share with you in a, in a minute. But the reason I brought this question in um, since the year 2006, I can clearly remember when this question took uh, form, in a sense, started to get birthed. It's because I had a couple instances um, that year that made me think about how is it that people cannot see the consequences of their actions? And it was, it was mind-blowing to me. Uh, that's, uh, I will give you one example. And um, again, this, this question has been driving me somewhere within me. There, there's, a, there's a pool. I may not feel the pool every day, but uh, you see there's, a, there's also a desire on my part to be of service. That's the reason I'm doing the show. I mean, it goes wherever it goes, but it's, it's there. And that's what we need to do. We do what we have to do to be there, whatever way it is, spiritual, psychological, in terms of work and family. And I believe we all know what we need to do to be present with a capital P. So in the year 2006, um, I was living in the Princeton area and we were living in the Princeton area. And there was a a French woman, uh, her husband was an expat, expatriate, he was working in the Princeton area for a chemical company. And um, she got in touch with me. Uh, she had uh, gotten my name from um, a training center, a cross-cultural training center on the West Coast, one I visited quite a few times um, in the 1990s. And um, someone told him, yeah, you should talk to Gilles Aslan. You know, he lives in the Princeton area. He may be able to give you some good insights, some good advice, and possibly, you know, who knows, lend you a job. So she was pretty forthright, and she said, you know, I would like to meet for a cup of coffee. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not working, and uh, if there's any kind of work available in your company, I mean, I would be happy to, to apply or to, to see what we can do together. And so we met. We met at Barnes & Noble. There's a, a cafe in many of the Barnes & Noble's uh, bookstores. And we met um, sometime in the morning, maybe 9 and 10, and uh, we got to the cafe, you know, to the cashier. And the cashier, she was, this woman, this French woman was walking in front of me. And we came to the counter, and, and, um, and the cashiers um, asked us, you know, is it going to be together or separate? And she said, separate. And uh, we just got, you know, each of us got a cup of coffee. I, I can clearly remember the cost of my cup of coffee, two dollars and thirty-seven cents. And I, I, you know, in retrospect, I thought, I thought to myself, maybe on the spot, but afterwards, I mean, I spent about at least two and a half hours with her. Um, 
I couldn't offer a job. Uh, most of the jobs we do in this field are on a contract basis, on a, on a project basis. And she had no experience in the field. She had uh, traveled and lived abroad, but uh, she had not trained in the field. And I thought to myself, you know, she wants to learn a job with our company, if possible. She spends two and a half hours with me getting insights and advice and, and learning about the field. And she's not willing to buy me a cup of coffee for $2.37. And I, you know, I really thought to myself, it was like um, my light bulb went on. I said, why is it so? You know, and I didn't get any answer because uh, we didn't keep in touch. But um, I thought it was just very interesting. I had other instances during that same year about other colleagues in the field who were doing things or saying things that to me made me question their foresight, you know, foresight or clairvoyance. Uh, clairvoyance in French is a very um, important skill, I think. Uh, the more we master that skill, the better. It's not a question of seeing into the future or seeing what might happen to us, but thinking about just, you know, it's, it's still a mental thing, and you know, thinking about the consequences of, of what we say or what we do or the way we behave, you know, down the road it may be remembered or it may be... Um, noticed and so um, just the way it was I mean again uh, there was a reason why I met those uh, different um, episodes or instances in 2006 again something was seeded in my life at the time and uh, I was working at the time on a on a project called the Gardeners of Peace with a friend of mine Leno in the Boston area I don't, we had conversations once a month, open conversations on a, uh, on a phone, a phone conference. And it um, didn't last very long, but I think it's, I may have brought that topic of, you know, how can we help people see? And, and, and again, I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about spiritual things. I'm talking about our life and the way people make assessments and judgments. Obviously, when you want to hire someone, you need to have a, I would say, a fav favorable impression about, uh, about the person. And so it was. And um, I've been, you know, I wouldn't say that I've been playing around with the question for that, that amount of time for the past um, eight years or nine years, but here it is, you know, today that how do we turn the light on for other people? Um, again, for ourselves, it's, I think it's much more difficult to do it for ourselves because we can't see what we can't see. Um, I don't, that's, um, that's that simple. And I think until we interact with other people, we won't be able to see our, uh, some sort of interaction. Uh, I think what we need ourselves to learn is the mirror that other people offer us. And what comes to mind now is the mirrors that I talked about um, in one of the shows, too, by Greg Braden. And um, the Essenes, uh, Essene mirrors, I think there's about five or seven of them. I don't quite remember. It's on my blog if you want to have a look at it. It's one of the most popular posts uh, on my blog, nurturingthegiftofseeking.org. And... Um, you know, it makes me wonder, you know, the, the kind of feedback we get from people. And sometimes, you know, we get feedback, we get cues, but we don't, we're not able to interpret those cues. 
And um, to me, it's a question of awakening, not so much in a sense of full-blown spiritual awakening, but it's a question of little steps, little pebbles along the path. And if we, if we don't see the pebbles, maybe we miss something. If we don't um, you know, pay attention or heed, um, heed the call, heed the message, then we're missing out on something. And I would like to talk um, about one personal thing that, again, that happened um, Tuesday, Wednesday, with one more colleague slash friend of mine in the field, knowing that I don't really consider myself part of the thing uh, anymore. But this person, um, I should use the, ta- the, the past tense now that after what happened yesterday, but uh, was a friend of mine, uh, a colleague as well. So for the past maybe eight years, seven years, about getting back to the same time, 2006, uh, it seems to be like a, a key year for me. And um, initially, you know, we, we learn about each other. We, we live pretty close, about 45, 50 miles from each other. So we met a couple of times just to chit-chat. She was entering the field. She had been working with a a different section of the field in a sense, still cross-cultural for young people coming to the U.S. And she was helping, excuse me, she was helping them to adjust and to adapt to the local culture and understand a few things. And so we met um, a few times and um, but a good relationship, good rapport, um, got along well. And and she got in touch with me um, Fairly often, I mean, I don't know how often, but she had questions, you know, technical questions about the field, and I was here. I was happy to, to to bring answers to her, to coach her to some extent, and to you know, to try to see how she could um, design a, a program or things like this. The kind of questions we discussed, uh, either face to face or on the phone. And then, you know, the relationship was going well, and then. Um, and then my wife got along. So, I mean, in a sense, um, we started meeting the three of us. So, it became more of a, of a family friendship, and, um, which is fine. But it's like the, the circle is widening in a sense. And it's not more strictly colleague slash uh, professional friendship. It, it belongs more like a, a family. So, to a large extent, I would consider that um, more intimate in a sense. And, uh, and at some point... Um, I guess to thank us, uh, she bought some um, she bought some gifts uh, for our son, and uh, it was very nice of us. Um, so we we enjoyed that, and we met. Uh, I remember we still met in a park. It was about um, about three years ago, and um, very nice gift for our son. Um, so again, there was sort of a a family-to-family connection, even though we, we, we knew about our daughters. She has a son as well, and we didn't know her husband. And, um, and it was fine. And then suddenly, since the time we met in the park, and since the time uh, she gave us all these gifts uh, for our son, it sounded like our relationship, I don't know, um, stalled in a sense, or wasn't going anywhere. That's my, my sense. And what is important to me, it may be personal, it may be um, cultural, I think it's, uh, it's a relationship thing, it's an affiliation thing, something I mentioned earlier on in the show, but um, suddenly we wouldn't, be able, we wouldn't be able to meet. I made offers, you know, three or four times 
why don't we get together? You know, we're only like 50 miles from each other. Why don't we meet uh, halfway through? Which is what we did uh, early on. And I wouldn't get any response. And um, still there was some, you know, message through Facebook or, or email. And she was telling, you know, me and us how much she loved us. And, uh, and I, thought, I thought it was pretty strange. And I didn't say anything, but I, I kept, you know, listening in a sense. And, and listening for the signs and still no willingness to meet. And, you know, I'm sure there was tons of reasons for, not, for her not being willing to meet. But yet there was no response at all. And she was kept telling us, you know, you mean the world to me. And there was sort of a, how, I don't know if I call it cognitive dissonance, uh, but there was something um, which didn't ring true to me. And not so long ago, maybe a month ago, she got back in touch with me again. And she didn't help on a, on a program for a group of French managers. And so she sent me an email and a long request, and I was uh, pretty busy at the time, you know, moving to a new place and, and um, not really um, into the field anymore. And I didn't respond. I chose, I think, purposely to, to ignore the, rest of the email uh, and see what happened. And then two or three days ago, she sent me a new email, and she asked me, you know, is there anything wrong with me? Is there anything wrong why you don't uh, answer uh, to my emails? I understand you might be busy, but if there's something between us uh, that is not working, I would be happy to, to learn about it. And that was about three days ago. So I thought about it again. And within the context of this week, and the theme of this week, you know, reframing my question, how can we help people see? Yesterday, I was working on the notes for today's show. And I thought maybe it's the right time, you know, to, to give her some, um, a piece of information so that she can understand uh, how I feel, how I feel about the relationship, how I feel about our so-called friendship. And saying to her that, you know, for me, it's important to, to meet, to have face-to-face -face relationship. It's very, I know our world is becoming so virtual. And there's, you know, many cases, instances where we cannot meet people. They are on the other side of the world. And yet, you know, when you live so close from one another, uh, why would you, you know, skip um, the opportunity to, to have a, a bite or a cup of coffee together for maybe two hours at the most? And so yesterday, again, I thought about this and I... Um, I thought to myself, you know, it's really the right timing in terms of the show, everything coming together. And maybe, you know, if I give her some information, um, it will help her see things in a different light. Uh, obviously, she had a very different perspective than mine. If not, she would have responded and, and possibly told me the reason why she couldn't meet or she wouldn't want to meet. So I sent her an email. I responded first about a professional query. And I um, gave her some information about our move and the changes in our family. And, you know, I, the way we respond to a friend. And then in the second part of the message, I told her how I was feeling, you know, what was going on, how I was perceiving our relationship. 
and that the fact to me that um, the image or the metaphor that I used is that um, it felt like a wilted flower. And it's, I think it's a good metaphor to talk about friendships and relationships, the one that you want to nurture. You need to bring some ingredients into the relationship. If you keep asking for something, she was asking for professional advice, and in return you don't give anything out. Um, there's some, of a, some kind of an imbalance there. And um, so I explained that to her, my, my take on the, um, on, the, on the wilted flower, uh, the fact that I needed some, uh, my, my flower needed some ingredients, some nutrients, some nurturing in order to, for the relationship to, to continue and to flourish. And she responded almost right away. And she said she didn't understand. And that's the way things are. And um, it made me wonder, you know, I, I went beyond my, I, don't, I wanted to talk about boundaries today. So I think I went beyond my, my own boundary to be very honest with her and, and told her how I was feeling. And she acknowledged and honored my feelings. And yes, your response was that she didn't understand. And there was no, there was no questioning uh, or trying to, you know, trying to understand and learn where I'm coming from. And then she said she could give me at least 10 reasons why she couldn't meet. And yet, interestingly, she never gave me any before when I was asking for, for a get-together. So I thought that was interesting, and that's, um, in a sense, it's a chapter closed, and I kept in my mind another metaphor. It's interesting that it came still about nature. But this one much more about a tree, you know, when a tree, when a branch on a tree becomes sapless, you know, doesn't produce any, um, any leaves anymore, the branch dies. And that's how I felt about our friendship. And... Again, that's the way it is. I mean, friendships are being born. Some of them flourish. Some of them die. Some of them just don't go anywhere. And I thought yesterday what we did, at least, was to cut the branch. And I think it was a very, a very good thing because, like, we didn't know where we were going, in a sense. At least I wasn't. I didn't know. And, uh, again, it made me think, you know, after a response, you know, how... How beneficial, how useful is my response, how nurturing it is. Because my goal when I was thinking about, when I was drafting my response, was trying to help her make, see, make her see how, where I was coming from. My perspective, my point of view in terms of um, maintaining and, and, and growing friendship. And that my, my need, so-called need, uh, wasn't met. And again, I've been reflecting on that yesterday for a couple of times. And um, I think the best thing it can do now, maybe my email created some sort of a, some sort of a break. Uh, it might be psychological at this level. It might be spatial. Again, it's not the question. But I think at some level, at some point, uh, something opened up in her. Uh, that's my, again, 
I'm working from a hypothesis. But the best thing I can do now to nurture that opening, that whatever needs to happen and maybe nothing will happen, but the best thing you can do is to send light to this person. And I am. I am sending love and light to her the way I used to. But now I'm a somewhat different perspective and a somewhat, you know, it's like we moved into a different stage. And I think the branch may be down. The, the, the dead branch may be down. But still, who knows? Something else may be able to flourish on a tree. And, uh, and that's the beauty of it. Um, again, we do so many things, you know, trying to think about, that's what I was saying, thinking about the consequences of what we do and what we say. And sometimes we do things with the best intention, the best of intentions, and it's not received the way we would hope. And yet, um, something happens. So I just hope at this point that I planted something in her life, something that may travel underground in a sense, like a seed, you know. It stays in the soil for a number of days or months. And then one day, it finds a way to find, you know, to look for the sun or to look for fresh air. And that is when it's able to... Um, to bloom again. So that's my hope. That's my message to the universe. Again, it's a very um, hidden, I would say, underground message. But that's what I wanted to share with you because it was a very, um, a very meaningful exchange yesterday and a very meaningful um, happening, something uh, a person I care about. And... Um, Again, I hope the tree will, uh, the branches and the tree will flourish again. So thank you very much. I will talk to you in a few minutes. As spiritual seekers, we often receive... Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, health and wellness, business, sports, green talk, power up motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support you. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
are listening to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us with Jeal Asselin. To reach the program, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to seeking at nurturingthegift.org. Now, back to the program. Hello again, this is Jill. Welcome back. Thank you very much for listening to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in all of us. Nurturing that little seed that wants to grow, that wants to um, open up, that wants to bloom. Um, It's such a beautiful metaphor um, to think about what is growing within us and to to help it grow with other people sometimes. You know, that was part of my question um, in relation to the theme is, you know, how can we help people see is one thing. But the other question is, do we have to? I've read, you know, do we have to or shall we help people see? I've read in so many places and I heard so many times that People are walking, their, are walking their own path. That's their own unique path. If they are in this situation today, it's because of what they did you know, years ago in a previous life, possibly. And we can't, you know, we can't do things for them. We can't take their place, obviously. I can't walk your path, and you, can't walk, you cannot walk mine. That I understand. But does that mean we're not supposed to, you know, provide some whatever, whatever you call it, some, could be assistance. I mean, it's different when someone asks you for assistance, asks you for whatever advice. I mean, that happened to me again. I mentioned my friend in uh, Southern Europe. But, um, you know, in a case like the example I mentioned about my friend and our friendship, Shall we, you know, shall we? What is our responsibility there? And um, I think I've had a discussion with uh, Altair, the person we came onto the show in July and August, uh, not so long ago. And I pretty much both agreed that um, the main thing or the only thing we can do is to send out light, light and love or whatever, compassion, whatever positive vibes uh, you want to send, send them out to the person. It's a form of, it's a form of healing as well. It's a form of, uh, how could I call it? So like, uh, you know, it's like blood flowing in our veins, helping the other people's blood to flow in a sense, to live and to grow and to go through whatever obstacles they, they are going to. And, and again, um, when I was thinking about that question, which is not, again, a very easy question to answer, I kept thinking back about my mother and my brother, people that are very close to me and that I know fairly well. I mean, I'm talking about this, again, this, this psychological and spiritual. My mother, I mentioned her quite a few times in the show, so at the beginning, she now lives in her very own world. She has her own views that are... I think I've been set and molded by her mother early on. And I don't think she was able to, to transcend those views or those boundaries, which is just fine. You know, she's in a, 
88 years, so she's not young, and I think she lived a good life. She moved into a retirement home not so long ago, and I think it's, uh, it was a very good thing. I'm very grateful for that. Um, it is to a point where uh, her mind is not very clear anymore. She still thinks that she lives in her apartment and that she goes to the market every Saturday. So, you know, some landmarks in her life stayed with her. It's very interesting the, the way the mind works. Um, the way the mind is blocked in a sense. It's, it feels like a, not a block in itself, but it stops in time. And I've had the very same experience with my uncle, uh, my father's brother, must be 95 by now. He also lives in a retirement home. It's very hard to talk to him now. He's not quite quite there. But I was visiting him in a in a, a satsang of a hospital five or six years ago. And I was talking to him about his life, you know, way back when he started working 40 years ago or 45 years ago. The different kind of jobs he had. His memory was so sharp, so clear. We had such a good exchange. But when it came to directions about where he was or what he was going to do in the present, the mind wasn't there. What he was saying was clear and... um, and made sense, except it wasn't the real world. So I just find that interesting. It's a, it's a side note, uh, but it's a side note about the way the mind works, possibly the way the mind tricks us, and that may have some value on our spiritual path. So talking about my mother again, she's wishes with her own views. Um, I don't think she made, you know, I'm making a judgment here, obviously, but I don't think she made much, much progress on the spiritual path. She was interested in Buddhism, and I put her in touch 10 or 15 years ago with friends. Um, But I think for her, it was much more like an intellectual pursuit. Or she was doing it because I was practicing Buddhism at the time. And again, that's just fine. I think people wake up, the, the flower you know, grows at the pace where it's supposed to grow. And I'm sure she might have a, you know, a further awakening in her next life, wherever she goes and whatever she does. I hope so. And then talking about my brother, I think there's, there's been something tickling him, uh, much more than my mother. He was also interested in Buddhism, and at some point, he, I think he came to visit us in 2002. And we took him to a Buddhist meeting. It was in English, so he couldn't understand much of the meeting. But there were some prayers, and there was um, some discussion going on. And I think there was a... In him, there was a, a seeking flame. You know, something was... A spark, maybe. Something was burning. Something was alive. And... Um, that was good. So when he went back home, I put him in touch or he did some research and he, he was in touch with the kind of Buddhism I was practicing, SGI Buddhism, in the area where he lives. And uh, at some point I went back to visit him and I attended a meeting with him and, and things really didn't click for whatever reason, I guess. It's also a question of the people you meet and how you get along and, and what you you know, what you receive, what you give, and there's part of the practice of chanting nam renge kyo And maybe that didn't work with him. And that's just fine. So for a few years, 
um, I don't think he was doing much. At least we stopped talking about Buddhism. And around Christmas time, about nine months ago, I said, we would like to buy you something for Christmas. And he said, yes, okay, let me think about what I would like. And eventually he came up with a, an idea, which was a book. A book written by a Buddhist monk called Mathieu Ricard. He's a French monk, so it helps to read in French. And, uh, and he wanted this book from Mathieu Ricard. I don't know exactly what the topic was, but something very, very spiritual. And I thought to myself, wow, that's really great, you know. The little spark, the little flame that we saw 13 years ago has been alive, has been burning, even though I could not see it, even though we didn't have any discussion about Buddhism. And I think he might not be so, so much interested in, in Buddhism or practicing a religion, but it's much more like a spiritual search. And when I, um, when I realized that, Instead of buying one book from Mathieu Ricard, we bought him three books. And one book is about meditation, how to meditate, from the same author. Again, a very prominent monk who is very close to the Dalai Lama. I think he, he travels around uh, French-speaking countries, Mathieu Ricard travels around French-speaking countries with the uh, Dalai Lama, and he serves as uh, an interpreter uh, whenever needed. So, and he's been a monk for, I would say, also a good 40 years. He lives in, uh, in northern India, I think, with Dalai Lama. And, you know, I thought to myself, it's quite, uh, it's quite amazing how things happen. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, we should not lose hope. What we do for others, being, you know, material in terms of material help or spiritual help or psychological help, is never wasted. It goes out somewhere in the universe, but it's there. It's there, and it's whatever is supposed to happen will happen. You know, the person will start to wake up. That's my that's my experience with my brother. I will see him again next month, and we'll see what we discuss. A lot of things about my mother, obviously, but possibly a few more about. Uh, about spiritual practice and meditation, and um, I'm very much looking forward to that. And um, hope, hope is a is a big thing, you know. Even though we don't see clear results, tangible results right away, we should not give up. There's a lot of ways we can help people, and um, again, what really matters is what we put. What we put forth, the energy what we send out, are we sending supportive vibes, supporting vibrations? Are we sending destructive ones? It's something I've been paying attention to much more than usual lately. Now, am I sending out light? Am I sending out love? Am I sending out support for people? Or am I sending out judgment? This one is a biggie of mine. I mentioned that also earlier on. And so... You know, please be as conscious as possible about what comes out of you, not, not only your words or your actions, but your whole being. What does your being sends out, send out is of utmost importance. Thank you. 
favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Could you be the next legendary leader? That question hinges on your courage and willingness to change. Join Maria Danley every week for Legendary Leaders Answering the Higher Calling. Be inspired by stories and legend and listen to legendary guests along with live channeling to help you answer your higher calling and become the legendary leader you are destined to be. The world is waiting for you. Step up and join the wave. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. listening to Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us with Jeel Asselin. To reach the program, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to seeking at nurturingthegift.org. Now, back to the program. Hello again, this is Jill. Again, thank you very much for being present and listening. I appreciate your your being with us. Um, I was talking about um, you know the seed that grows and produces um, flowers eventually, fruits. What what this topic of you know? How can we help people see? Let me very naturally to think about boundaries. You know, what are our boundaries? And it's it's not an easy topic, you know. Again, it's a question of seeing other people's boundaries, you know, what they are they comfortable with or not. And and gently pushing their boundaries if we are planning to help them expand. And the question is, you know, do they want to expand? But um, it's something I've been reflecting on this week as well, the, the boundary. And it's, culturally speaking, it's not a, I wouldn't talk about boundary that way in, in French. So it made me think, you know, twice in terms of how to approach this, um, this topic. Because the only word that comes to mind for me in, in French, boundary, the most appropriate would be limits, the limit. And it's, you know, you can expand our limits too. But the boundary sounds more, the word that comes to mind when you come about, we talk about boundaries is the word porous. 
uh, porous boundaries. You know, it's something that when I think about biology, you know, uh, porous boundaries means that it can go either way. It can come out or it can come in. And there's an exchange with the environment, with the outer world. And then we absorb something and at the same time we give out something. So, so I think the, the image is pretty, um, it's pretty good, it's pretty uh, appropriate. When the, um, the word limits doesn't feel so appropriate again. It's a, it's a side note, but it's a very important one. Uh, because not everyone will uh, react or, or even behave uh, the same way based on their cultural uh, upbringing. And I'm talking about this because um, I've been observing our son is going to a French-speaking school. It's 75% um, French and obviously 25% English. And it's a new environment for him. It's a new environment for us. And the teachers are French. I mean, I would say at least his French teacher is French. He wasn't born in Quebec or Switzerland or Africa. He's from uh, the north of France. And I, you know, I look for this um, cultural picture. To what extent is he, is he behaving French or is he speaking French, speaking quote-unquote culturally French? And uh, he's been in the U.S. for a year. Uh, we learned, we had a meeting two, two days ago about the curriculum, so it gave us a bit more information about uh, what he has in mind, what he's planned. It's very well uh, they were laid out, very comprehensive. So there were lots, I mean, lots of parents, maybe um, 10 of us in the room. And uh, so he spoke English. So it's, you know, you see a French person speaking English in front of a group. It's also different. He's not the same person as a person speaking a mother tongue. But when it comes to boundaries, I was, I was reflecting on, uh, on this French teacher's kingdom. It's a very French thing that I don't get the same concept in the U.S. And that has to do with boundaries, you know, what is acceptable in the classroom. And here I'm talking about rules. And one of the rules I have, we have difficulty with is that starting in kindergarten, uh, our son goes to kindergarten. We're not supposed to bring our child to the class, down to the class. You have to go down one level in the, in the building. We're supposed to drop our child in the hallway or by the door, by the entrance door, and then he finds his way down. And it's something that we, we, we both, my wife and I, and also our son, finds difficult because he, he wants a hug. He wants to be taken to the school, to the, to the room. And so we try to find a midpoint. And usually we give him, at least when I drop him in the morning, I give him a, a hug in the, all the way down on the, on the bottom floor. So... I go down with him, I give him a hug, and then I let him go into his room. And that seems to be working fairly well. And yet, it's not, it's not the French rule. And, you know, reflecting again on, on that French cultural patterns, it's interesting to see how the teacher uh, sets the rules. And, uh, again, it, it's something because... I'm saying this because there's permission to transgress the rules. And we got one last Friday, we, my wife and I, because uh, 
the next day was our son's birthday, so we brought some uh, some cupcakes into the classroom for all the kids to have at the, the break time. And um, in his email the night before, I emailed um, the teacher to let him know that we would be coming and bringing um, 24 cupcakes. And he said, he said, yes, you can go to the, into the room. So in a sense, he gave us permission to come. And again, I was reading between the lines, but it was so clear to me uh, how this works. That he has his own kingdom. He's obviously the one in charge. He has one assistant who is um, American born but fully bilingual. And he has also an English teacher who works with, uh, with the class for about an hour every day. She's from Quebec, but I think she's Anglophone. And so he's really the one in charge. And again, I was thinking about this topic of setting rules, uh, boundaries, uh, within a French class by a French teacher. And trying to, you know, to get my, my perspective, my, my, my vision of how can we see, how can we help people see. And um, I'm not saying that what the French teacher is doing is wrong. What I'm saying is that what he's doing is a very culturally bound um, practice in a sense. I would say that most French teachers would do the same. They would behave, quote-unquote, as queens or kings in their classrooms. And usually in France, it's much more difficult to, quote-unquote, challenge the teacher because they have a tendency to put the teacher on a pedestal and he or she knows what she's teaching. She's been trained. She belongs to the Education Nationale, the National School, uh, National Ministry of Education. And usually they are very well qualified. In France, being a teacher in an in a elementary school is a very prestigious, I mean, prestigious job. If you compare to the U.S., lawyers seem to have a lot of prestige here and make a lot of money. Teachers don't. In France, it's the reverse. Lawyers, we don't know much about lawyers. It's much more prestigious to be a teacher, I think. At least that's my cultural thought. And, um, and again, it's like, my question is, how do we set boundaries? And then how do we transgress or transcend that boundary for the sake of, for the sake of discovery, for the sake of um, growing, for the sake of, you know, seeing something else? If we are, quote unquote, stuck behind our boundary, how can we evolve? How can we learn? And again, these boundaries, especially those cultural boundaries that have been set up, that have been molded in us uh, early on, they are very difficult to, to identify. And it's, again, it's not, a, it's not an easy thing to to fathom, providing there's the, providing there's the cultural awareness or the spiritual awareness there. And, and um, I'm also saying this in the context of the French school because the school may be highly French, you know, a lot of French teachers 
And yet the population is about, I would say real, really Francophone students is like 20 or 30%. So it's not that many you know, Francophone students. Um, and a lot of students obviously at this age or the young age have to keep up and, and, and reach a level of, of French which is, um, which is good when they can express themselves in, in French. It's not the case of our son. He says a few words. He said this morning, fini, fini, which means finished, when he talked about his breakfast. And I was, I was blown away. I wasn't expecting this one. So there is progress. You know, this is a boundary that is piercing as well. You know, his world, our son's world, was mostly um, an Anglophone boundary. And um, with a lot of meanings, you know, he was going to um, an Anglophone daycare in New Jersey. And his friends, he had friends from, whose parents were from Eastern Europe, India, China. And yet the common, the common thread, the common um, hook, in a sense, was the language. Everybody was speaking English. And now he finds himself in an environment where one person, the teacher, the person in charge, speaks French all day long. And that, you know, forces him to reconsider his own world. The way things work, that's the beauty of working in a second or third language. I think that's really the beauty. The beauty is to shatter some of our boundaries, some of our limits. It's not only a question of learning a language, learning a culture. I think it's a question of pushing our boundaries way beyond. They can be pushed, these boundaries, to the infinite. It's not a question of, um, of learning so many languages, four or five languages. It's really a question of, and I go back to the topic of spelunking, it's really a question of getting within and, and digging and putting on our spelunkers gear, gear and, and light and going within the cave and possibly look for boundaries. You know, if you go into a cave, a dark cave, there's obviously a wall, there's obviously a limit to the cave, whatever that cave means to you. And I think that's the kind of work we're meant to do on the span, the path. And it could be many kinds, many types of work, depending on what we need in our lives, the kind of obstacles, the kind of nutrients, nutrients we live in all, we need in our lives. But it goes back to this, you know, this, this kind of work of, of shattering uh, boundaries. And once the boundary is gone, providing it was the boundary which is gone, which also could be called a veil, then there's so much more space for us to, to live in or to maneuver in. And that's when our horizons expand. And exactly, that's exactly what I wish for you, to be able to see beyond what you've been able to see until now. This is how we make progress on the path. And I wish you um, a lot of progress and a lot of uh, boundaries um, shattering. Good luck or bon courage, as we say in French. And goodbye. Thank you for joining us on Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us. 
Your personal journey, assisted by your guide and companion, Giel Asselin, will continue next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be sure to tune in again. We'll be right back. 